The reading of Scripture this morning comes from the book of the Acts, chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 1 through 17 this morning. Let's ask the Lord who breathed out His Word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture now to breathe upon us afresh to give spiritual illumination to our minds, to open our hearts so that we might receive His Word for the sanctification of our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that in Your great love for us, You have sent Your Son to be our Savior, and that You have sent through Him the promised Holy Spirit to open our eyes to Your truth, to convict us of sin, to bring us to Jesus, to unite us to Him, to grant us the grace whereby we might love You and be empowered to walk in Your ways and keep Your commandments. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, Fall afresh on us as we read and hear the word which you have breathed out to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray, amen. amen. Acts chapter 18, 1 through 17, this is the word of God, it is written, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, that would date this at uh, A.D. 4950. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade. He's He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, God-fearers. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Again, a a Gentile who is a God-fearer, not a full convert to Judaism, but a Gentile worshiper of the God of Israel. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, a Jew, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when 
Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, Ah, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, and to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. We live in interesting and challenging times. So did the Apostle Paul. We live at a time when the gospel of Jesus Christ is not always received with joyful faith. So did the Apostle Paul. We live in a secularized, worldly culture in which the gospel is sometimes met with cold indifference or hot opposition. So did the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul lived at a time when despite the indifference and the opposition, despite the prominent secular and pagan culture, the Lord Jesus Christ was building His church and advancing His kingdom on the earth. So do we. We can learn a lot about how to be faithful witnesses in 21st century America from the Apostle Paul. What we're going to learn from Acts 18 today is that uh, four major headings. First of all, the Apostle Paul had a strategy for spreading the gospel. Do you have a strategy for spreading the gospel? Secondly, the Apostle Paul shared in the gospel ministry alongside others in real relationships, friendships. Are you connected to others in real relationships, Christian friendship, encouragement, and accountability as you seek to implement your strategy for the advance of the gospel? Thirdly, the Apostle Paul presented the gospel in a reasonable manner based on the scriptures. Are you equipped likewise to present the gospel to others in a reasonable way based on the scriptures? And fourthly, the Apostle Paul had confidence in God's sovereign election of his people. Confidence in God's sovereign election of his people unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Confidence in God's sovereign election was the basis and the motivation for Paul's evangelistic ministry. Now, do you have confidence in God's sovereign election of His people unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I could have come up with an alliterative acronym 
by which you could label these four major headings, but I couldn't. So to repeat them, they are strategy, relationships, reasonable presentation of the gospel based on Scripture, and persevering confidence in God's sovereign election of sinners. Here we go. Number one, the Apostle Paul had a strategy. Now for the past two weeks in Acts 17, Pastor Jonathan has been expounding Paul's preaching in Athens, which was the intellectual center of the ancient world. He went to the intellectual center of the world. And then from Athens, Paul went now, Acts 18, to Corinth, another major city, a population of about 200,000, which in the ancient world was a rather large city. It was also a leading commercial trade center. Corinth was situated such that it had two ports, one on its east side, one on its west side. And therefore, it was a center of trade and commerce running east and west and north and south by land. Corinth was in a strategic commercial location. As John Stott notes, Paul knew that if trade could radiate from Corinth in all directions, then so could the gospel. Paul had his strategy. Now, what about you? Have you ever thought about how the gospel could radiate out from where you are located and positioned in your daily life? Have you thought about the strategic advantage you might have for sharing the gospel, perhaps with extended family relationships, work relationships, lifelong friendships, new acquaintances, community or school organizations, children's athletics or activities, or your own at the gym? Are you thinking strategically about how you can have a positive witness for Jesus in your ordinary daily walk of life? Let's get practical. Do you have friends that you know, you are sure, that they are not attending church? Maybe they have their name on a church roll, but you are sure that they are not attending. Maybe you know someone who has his or her name on the membership role of Covenant Presbyterian Church, but you know that he or she is not attending. Well, when is the last time you gave that person or couple a call? and invited them to come with you and have lunch afterwards. The question is not really when is the last time you invited someone to church. <laughs> the question is when's the next time you're going to do that? The point is, are you thinking strategically 
about your witness for Jesus. What strategic points of contact with people do you have through which you have opportunities to witness for Christ? Now, if that question raises any anxiety or fearfulness in you, let's think about Paul's decision to go to Corinth. Corinth was a cosmopolitan seaport city with all that that had to offer. It was a sophisticated, wealthy city which boasted of its affluence, culture, and political prestige. It was a city of human pride. Now just imagine New York, New Orleans, Las Vegas, and Big D Dallas all rolled up into one. It could have been a rather intimidating place for an itinerant preacher of the gospel. And that's not all. Corinth was famous or infamous for its sexual immorality. I know, here we go again, but... You know, that's first century Greco-Roman, and it's 21st century America. Some 2,000 feet above sea level, on an Acropolis overlooking the city, stood the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. A thousand female prostitutes served as Aphrodite's priestesses. You see, it's really nothing new that sexual immorality is really a form of religious idolatry. The sexual promiscuity of Corinth was so well known and acknowledged and celebrated with pride that it was proverbially said that to Corinthianize was to engage in sexual immorality. And to be a Corinthian was to be a harlot. Well, do you want to venture into that world in the name of Jesus? The Apostle Paul did. And if you want to be a witness for Jesus in 21st century America, you will need to also, in some way, in some context, because in case you haven't noticed, it is the culture in which we live today. But the good news, the good news is that the current sexual confusion and insanity present us with a very strategic opportunity to speak the truth in love about God, the true and living God who made us male and female in His own image, who blesses the sexual union within the covenant of marriage, and who loves our children all for His own glory. And more than that, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians later, as believers in Christ, our bodies do not belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. And our bodies 
are temples of the Holy Spirit so that even in this fallen world, we have communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the pagan world have to offer that can beat that? And that's the reason that Pastor Jonathan and I and now Scott are continually seeking to provide you with resources which will help you promote biblical truth and the healing grace, the healing mercy of Jesus in our morally bankrupt and sexually insane society. We want you to be equipped to take advantage of the strategic opportunity we now have to speak God's truth in a way which will shine the true light and show the true love of Jesus Christ concerning these issues. So the takeaway idea on this number one heading about strategy is that Paul's strategy took him into challenging places, into daunting, intimidating environments. And if you are satisfied to sit comfortably in this beautiful sanctuary with people you know and like and with whom you agree, without thinking strategically about how you can be a witness for Jesus Christ out there, well, right now is a really good time to start thinking and praying about what your strategy might be. No matter how daunting, challenging, or intimidating that might feel. So where and how has Jesus strategically located you? Secondly, we learn from Acts 18 that the Apostle Paul valued personal relationships, Christian friendships, partnership in ministry. He was not a lone ranger. He first teamed up with Barnabas, then Silas and Timothy and Luke. In Corinth... He found a man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They were Jewish believers in Christ who had come to Corinth from Rome. Evidently, Paul had heard about them, and so he sought them out for fellowship because they, like him, were tent makers by trade. They had something in common. Now, Aquila and Priscilla were a prominent couple in the first century church, and we hear of them uh, not only in Acts, but also in the letter to the Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Timothy as well. They not only befriended Paul in Corinth, but they also opened their home there as the meeting house of the church. They were gifted in teaching the Word. And in addition, we later learned that they also had a home in Ephesus and also in Rome, where also their home in Rome served as the house church. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul commends Priscilla and Aquila as his fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for his life. So the takeaway point here concerning relationships is that the Apostle Paul was not a lone ranger and neither should any of us be. Think about Christian friends with whom you share something in common, whether work or a hobby or, or children the same ages, whatever it might be. 
Christian friendships encourage and support Christian witness. Do you have Christian friends in your life? Do you have intentional Christian friendships? Friendships for for the sake of growing in Christ and promoting the gospel of Christ. I hope you do. I hope that you have Christian friendships of that nature right here within the membership of Covenant who encourage you in your relationship with Christ, with whom you can pray, with whom you can share your struggles, and by whom you are held accountable in a constructive and positive way. And, And I know that many of you do. I'm thankful for that. It's wonderful. Wonderful to see how many of you do love, care, support, pray for, and encourage one another. Keep it up and build on that by befriending others in the name of Christ for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. Enjoy the company of one another. Encourage one another. Share with one another. Get advice from one another. Share the work of the gospel. Pray for one another. Whatever that work Whatever that work looks like in your own personal strategic situation. Now, major heading number three. We learn from this passage that the Apostle Paul presented the gospel in a reasonable way based on the scriptures. Verse four says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. Numerous times in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke tells us that Paul went into the synagogues and reasoned with the Jews. The literal Greek might be translated to talk through, as we might say, let's talk through this. In other words, let's let's think through this logically. What about you? Do you know that the Christian faith is a reasonable faith? It is not unreasonable. It is not irrational. It is not illogical. And it is not anti-intellectual. Far from it. How wrong, how wrong it is to say that Christian faith is a blind leap in the dark. That is exactly not what it is. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the Christian faith amounts to a blind leap. It is the unbeliever whose mind is darkened and whose eyes are blinded. As a matter of fact, in his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul put it this way, speaking of those who reject the gospel. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, of Christ who is the image of God. The Christian faith is a reasonable faith. Because we worship the God who is the source and author of reason. The Christian faith, contrary to popular opinion, is not based on emotions, feelings, 
personal preferences and whatever works for me. It is based on truth. With a capital T. God's word is truth. God's truth in Scripture, reasonably presented to our minds, ought, yes, indeed, to stir our emotions and move our hearts. Of course, it ought to take hold of our whole being, but it moves our hearts because it is true. And it is God's Word by the power of the Holy Spirit which opens our eyes and renews our minds with the truth that is in Jesus. Now in the synagogues, Paul would have reasoned from the Scriptures showing that Jesus was the Christ of Israel. He may have begun with Genesis 3.15, the promise that The woman, without the aid of a man, would bear a Savior who would crush the head of the serpent and in so doing would suffer a mortal wound. He might have referred to the near sacrifice of Isaac and the substitutionary ram with its horns caught in the thicket. He would have quoted Isaiah 7.14, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He would have referred to the prophecies of the son of David born in Bethlehem. He certainly would have quoted Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. These and many, 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 many other passages would have been the basis for Paul's reasoning in the synagogues. Brothers and sisters, the Scripture makes sense. Therefore, you and I need to know the Bible. Old Testament as well as the New. And look, you don't really need to get caught up in convoluted arguments and opinions and this, that, and the other. And you don't need to know the answer to every question that an unbeliever or, a, or a, you know, somebody on the fence might ask you. You just don't. But what you do need to be able to do is speak the truth of the Word of God. Quote Scripture. And let the power of the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit do its own work in the hearts and minds of unbelievers. Now, the response to that may be lukewarm curiosity. It might be cold indifference. It might be outright rejection. That doesn't depend on you. Because some of the people in Corinth became hostile and abusive toward Paul, and we ought to expect that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a threat to our secular pagan culture in a big way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a threat to the idolatry of our materialistic greed and envy 
and our human pride. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a threat to our own perceived goodness and self-righteousness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a threat to the abortion industry, and they're mad about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a threat to the LGBTQ plus P plus XYZ activists, and they're mad about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a threat to the self-satisfied, comfortable, couldn't care less attitudes of people who are, they're good, they're fine. Some of whom are dressed up church-going people who think we're religious fanatics and fools because we believe the Bible, all of it. And they may be nice about it. But we are called to reason from the Scriptures to show that the wrath of God is real and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. And if believers, for whatever reason, reject the gospel, as Paul said to those in Corinth, their blood is on their heads. That's a frightening, frightening statement. But we are simply called to be faithful. So let's make sure that we are not guilty of their blood by failing to speak the truth about sin and salvation, hell and heaven, and the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the love of God. That gets us to our last heading. Confidence in God's sovereign election of his people was the basis of Paul's evangelistic ministry. Confidence in God's sovereign election of his people. Now, don't miss this point. After Paul had suffered the abuse of some Corinthians who rejected the gospel, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, appeared to him in a vision and said, Listen, do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. I have many in this city who are my people. Now, we need to hear and to believe and to treasure those words and act upon them. Listen to the Lord Jesus speaking to you from heaven. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. We need to hear and to obey those words today. We need to be confident in the Lord's sovereign election of his people. Now, what was the Lord Jesus saying to Paul? I have many in this city who are my people. What did he mean? Well, he meant that from all eternity, the Father had given unto him many people in that city who would be saved through faith in him when they heard the gospel. Jesus meant that he, with his own blood, had bought 
He bought them. Many people in the city of Corinth. And it was his foreordained plan to bring them into his kingdom through faith in him by means of the gospel. Do you see? Do you see this? Jesus knew what was going to take place in Corinth. He was going to build up a church there because he had already bought a whole bunch of people who just needed to hear the gospel. You have no idea how many unbelievers out there right now belong to Jesus but just don't know it yet. You have no idea how many unbelievers are out there right now who will, through your witness, by God's grace, be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You have no idea how many unbelievers are out there this morning who, through your witness, will be worshiping the Lord together with you one Sunday morning in here. Brothers and sisters, this ought to excite our hearts, provided that you do not fear. But obey the Lord Jesus Christ and go on speaking and do not be silent. Have you got a strategy? Have you got Christian friendships to encourage you? Are you equipped to present the gospel reasonably, simply, according to the Scriptures? Do you have confidence in God's sovereign election of His people and the saving work of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, All whom the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Go on speaking and be cheerful, not fearful. 21st century America is much like 1st century Corinth, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is building His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it to god be the glory amen gracious father we thank you for the glorious saving gospel of our lord jesus christ we thank you and praise you for the power of the holy spirit and the truth of your word Help us now, O oh Lord, to be faithful in responding to your call to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and the world as we say the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God, the Father,